welcome to the podcast, Marianne. I am so glad to have you here. You are, so I found you on Instagram, like we do with each other. And you are amazing because you have this great, happy spirit and you're always dancing. You're like the dancing therapist to me. I'm sure you don't <laughs> like that title, but that's what I think of you as. I'm, I'm cool with the title. I love it. <laughs> you always are like positive and like this positive movement and it's in conjunction with what you specialize in, which is what I wanted to kind of bring you on to talk about today. You specialize in working with clients that have eating disorders. Yes. And so for those of us that are at home going, what is an eating disorder, Marianne? Tell us mm -hmm. what constitutes the behavior of an eating disorder. Um, well, I think the overarching criteria are you have to have um, struggles in eating behaviors. I think that's a huge overarching behaviors. And depending on the eating disorder, you also have um, a strong preoccupation with food, eating, and body image. Okay. Um, and uh, typically a desire to change your body in some way, make it smaller. Um, and uh, Although that there's different types of eating disorders where there's not that desire, that's kind of the broad overarching category. And um, it's kind of that obsessive thinking about food, eating, and body image is the overarching um, behavior and theme and everything. And one thing that uh, I've found um, to be true is that a lot of people with eating disorders, not everyone, but a lot of people with eating disorders tend to be high achieving ah, as well. Interesting. Yeah. Do you think there's a correlation with, because uh, I consider myself, unfortunately, uh, guilty of being a high achiever. Is it because we want to have control and that seems like something that we can control or what, what do you attribute that to? That's a good question. Um, and I totally can't relate to being a high achiever at all. Uh, <laughs> not at all. I can't. No, <laughs> that's not why I have PhD after my name. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, so like, you know, a lot of people ask me that they say, well, it's, it's just I, they want control, but it's really an illusion of control because it's really the eating disorder that's controlling you oh, and you actually good. have less control over your life um, because you're so you're thinking about food, eating and body image 80 to 90 percent of the time. And that doesn't live a lot of room, leave a lot of room for you to live your life. And so um, just the desire to change your body in some way and eat in a particular way that's typically either restrictive or eaten in kind of an under controlled way um, that is um, where you're binge eating or binging and purging and then the over controlled where it's more restrictive you have those two subtypes so mm -hmm. let's talk about that a little bit just again because yeah. part of why i want to have you on is to educate about yeah. what these mean so I grew up in the 80s. And so for some reason, anorexia was like a big thing, yep. right? Is that still a term we use? And what is that? Yes. So I grew up in the 80s as well. So high five. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, anorexia um, nervosa is when people restrict food um, and they are trying to um, change their body size by making it smaller and 
um, to the point at which it affects their daily functioning and um, to the point at which they can, um, it, it has a, a hard, they have a hard time um, with like even cognitive functioning and like being able to think clearly because what happens if you restrict food over time, your brain actually shrinks. Yeah, we need and a certain so, amount of calories per day. And if we restrict yeah. the amount of calories, our body is like, well, what's disposable? What can we shut down? Mental, cognitive ability. Sure, I can't stop your heart. I can't stop you from breathing. Yeah. Let me choose something from one of my other categories. Not a great option. Right. That's what our body does. Or um, I, we don't need our hair that much. So you would start losing your hair or we don't need circulation as much in our limbs and hands and feet. So we'll start shutting that down. We don't need periods to survive. So we'll shut that down. Um, and in the eighties that you had to have amenorrhea to be qualified for, uh, to qualify for the anorexia diagnosis, but that's not the case anymore because everybody's body is different and some people have amenorrhea and some people don't. So, so anorexia, yeah, in the eighties, that's kind of what people knew about maybe a little bit about bulimia where you have, um, these binge eating episodes and then you have compensatory behaviors. So you're, um, you, um, typically purge to get rid of the food that you just ate, or people can, do other kinds of compensatory behaviors, like take laxatives, like over-exercise, things like that. So, so. What I hear you saying it, it's possible to both want to control your cal caloric intake and simultaneously have these like urges that come on to eat a, a large quantity of food. And then you want to do something to get rid of it. Cause I'm imagining you feel guilt and shame around it, or there's something that happens where then it's this vicious circle where you control to the point where you are starving probably, and then you intake a lot and then you try to get rid of it rapidly. Yes, um, if that's the binge purge subtype of anorexia, okay. but then there's the restricting subtype where um, people just restrict and restrict and restrict and there's no binging or purging. So those, there's the anorexia restricting subtype and the anorexia binge purge subtype, okay. and then bulimia, which is a different category. And there can be restriction in bulimia, but it's kind of not the main thing. It's the binging and purging. And that's that would the main be, thing. Like, do you have to do it over a certain period of time or a certain amount of times per day in order to have that diagnosis for bulimia? Uh, yeah, it's, it's once per week for three months. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And I imagine mm -hmm. that does quite a bit of damage to the enamel on your teeth. I mean, we're talking about uh, damage to our body, but I have um, certainly met clients where their dental issues are incredibly poor as a result of all the acid that's in our bile and just. Yes. And I, I interviewed, I have an eating disorder blog that's been out for five, I think five years um five six years and i interviewed a dentist about eating disorder issues and the teeth and he said which i totally didn't know that anorexia also causes a lot of damage because yeah. that's another you know non-necessary yeah. you know area of your body um and uh, sometimes people with anorexia have struggles with acid reflux GERD 
as well. So, um, so you have anorexia and then bulimia, and then you have binge eating disorder, which is a newer diagnosis that just came out in the DSM-5 in 2013. And that's where you have the uncontrolled, you know, out of control binges, which occur over a two hour period where you feel like you just can't stop eating and it's a relatively large amount of food. And, um, and then there's no compensatory behavior. So there's no trying to get rid of it. And that in order to meet that diagnosis, you have to do it once per week for three months. Wow. So how many, if you, if you know, how many people would you guesstimate have a form of this disorder in the United States? Um, like all eating disorders total. I'm just curious, like what percentage of us are struggling with something like this? That's, uh, I don't know the total of all of the eating disorders. I know, um, binge eating disorders has the highest percentage. It's like, um, five to 6%, um, anorexia. Yeah. Yeah. And then anorexia, it's like, 0.5 0.5 to 1%. And then I think bulimia is like one to 2%. And then there's um, a fourth diagnosis um, that's called ARFID, which is avoidant restrictive f- food intake disorder. Yep. And that's more about that. A lot yeah. Yeah. This was also a new diagnosis to come out in 2013. And um, that's when people have issues with the process of eating or the actual food. And so they eat a very select amount of foods. Um, There's a lot of sense, there can be a lot of sensory issues with food. And there's absolutely no desire to want to lose weight or change their bodies. In fact, they're like, I just want to be able to eat so I can go to a pizza party with my friends, you know? (laughs) So, um, so I think my practice, although I see all eating disorders in my private practice, I probably specialize in binge eating and ARFID. Um, but I absolutely have clients with anorexia, both types and bulimia. Wow. So not that this is a therapy advice uh, podcast, (laughs) but I'm curious is so the rest, you know, the restrictive and the, and the kind of like, I'm not enjoying the texture or I can't force myself to eat. Is that exposure therapy so that you start to like build a tolerance to it? How do, what's the general approach? Um, uh, it depends on you and who you ask. There's not a lot of research out there for ARFID treatment. Um, and a, a lot of therapists don't have many years of experience working in it. Um, I have about eight years experience working with ARFID and um, some people do, and some treatment programs do hardcore ERP. Um, uh, I don't do hardcore ERP. I think sometimes we can do some, what's called food food chaining, where say um, you like, um, a, a certain like white bread okay. and, um, and so you're chain, you know, you eat white bread all the time and then it's like, okay, let's see if we can get you to a different brand of white uh, bread. Okay. So it's like this very slow thing. Yep. Um, I think a, a lot of people with ARFID, not everyone, but, um, a lot of people are neurodiverse mm-hmm. 
And so you have to really attend to the neurodiverse piece. And one thing that's very important to me is to respect um, the sense of agency of people with, who are neurodiverse. And I think kind of really shoving ERP um, at them or like a hardcore CBT program is not um, helpful and actually can increase anxiety and cause them to eat less. So we want them to feel a better sense of agency and teach them ways to manage their anxiety, um, which will eventually help, you know, broaden a little bit of what they eat, but they're never going to eat exactly like everyone else. And that's okay. You know, it's just, you want them to be able to function when they go to dinners with friends or, um, you know, you want to make sure that their weight is stable and their, their health, because sometimes I have, you know, very underweight teens, especially that we need to, um, weight restore. And so we got to get them back up, you know, so mine is, I, I do a very gentler, uh, way of treating ARFID, um, that's very much based in self-compassion and self-agency, um, because I really want to respect that because a lot of people don't get that who are neurodiverse and they've, they've experienced a lot of not great things because of it. Well, I, I, I hear what you're saying is some very well-intentioned parents are like, Hey, you're yeah, not going to have sure. nutrition. It's my job to get you like through childhood with growth and nutrients. And then they are not understanding that there's the emotional component, which is where someone like yourself would be extremely helpful to help bridge the gap of having the parents have an understanding and then also hold space for the client. So it sounds like you're doing some incredibly important work and a very new frontier for us. Yes, it is a new frontier. It's emo it's emotional work. It's psychological work. It's um, like really creating a safe space for them. Um, so they feel respected. Um, so they feel like they have a voice. It's really, really important. I love it. I love working with our, I mean, I love all of it. I love working with eating disorders and I think that comes out in my it Instagrams, your you know, joy, your joy. Yeah. Comes out. I love, this is what I'm like, this is my calling. This is what I've mean mean to do my whole life yeah well that's why i brought you on as the expert to talk about this Woo! so let's let's shift it to relationships yes okay. we talked about parent-child relationships but okay when i think of food sometimes i think of lots of different things but when someone's first starting to date there seems that period where you're going out to eat a lot right where there's yeah. like that 15 pounds that you gained at the beginning of the relationship because you're going out to eat so much, you're kind of laying around, snuggling, like not working out. There's the whole stereotype, right? And so I can imagine that if I struggle with any kind of yeah. eating, just how am I going to approach this time in dating? Like, do you have any tips, thoughts? What do you got for us, Marianne? Yeah, that's a really great question. Um, I. I work with a lot of, and, and I have over the years, I've worked with a lot of um, people who are dating, uh, whether it's in their 20s or in their 40s. And uh, it's, it's a great time and an exciting time, but it's also very, tricky, uh, I bet. it's very tricky. It's anxiety producing and all those things. And 
I think the biggest concern my client has is that um, I don't want the person to know, you know, that I struggle with these issues. And um, so how can I hide it? And so a lot of energy goes into trying to hide their issues with food and eating and body image. And, and then when you get throw sex into the ring, it's like, I don't like my body and they're going to see me naked and I don't like myself naked. And, you know, how can I make sure that the lights are off, you know, when we have sex and things like that. And, um, so it's, it's, it's a struggle. And so, um, and then the issues with vulnerability come up because I think that's another thing that I have found to be very challenging for my population. It's really hard for them to be vulnerable. And uh, so when they're becoming vulnerable with someone that can increase uh, their anxiety quite a bit, and it can also um, get them to, um, you know, engage more in eating disorder behaviors. So, so, you know, I guess it's, from your question and just like everybody kind of relaxes and, and when they're first dating and it's like, well, it's, if you have an eating disorder, it's actually not that relaxing, you know? Yeah. And I imagine that you feel like it's just a matter of time until they find out about the ways that you, this is a coping skill, right? It's not a judgment. It's not doing something bad. It's, we each have to figure out how to get through life. And as you said, when you're a high achiever, A lot of what happens is I don't want to be vulnerable, kind of that. I don't want to be out of the ability to manage how people think about me. I want to manage it for them. And so I've used this as a tool to give me some sort of release valve or a way to like just inhabit my own space when I'm by myself to like let some of that go. And so I'm imagining if I'm dating, we're going to start getting closer and they're gonna, maybe this person is going to notice that I only eat white bread or whatever it is that's happening, right? right and so right. are they going to judge me, wanna break up with me if oh, they yeah. find this out about me? Because yeah. food is such a weird thing. I've had people like I'm pescatarian and I've had someone date me before who's like, nope, I don't wanna date you because I've always visualized having a backyard barbecue and that doesn't include fish, that's a steak. And I'm like, what is happening right here? What? You're having like a whole story outside of me and I'm like not even involved, but oh. we are weird about food. Yes, we are. And, um, you know, and that doesn't even cover a lot, all the cultural um, expectations and the cultural um, narratives around food as well. Um, I, I do want to say that I I did my grad school in Texas and oh, I was a vegetarian. Yeah, I was a vegetarian at the time. And oh my gosh, I, I was dating this guy and he just, he was in disbelief. He's like, you really don't eat meat? You you don't eat meat? Like, he's like, come on, just eat some meat. I'm like, no, I actually don't like it that much. You really don't eat meat? It was just outside his understanding it was like so you just funny said you were a serial killer and he was no, i'm serious how you got here? A serial killer <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely so yeah it's it, it there can be a lot of judgments and um and and uh, another thing that people concern uh, feel concerned about is when do i disclose when do i disclose that i struggle with these things and so i coach people through that and 
it's what I tell them is it's your story and you own this story. So it's your choice when and how and how much you want to disclose and, uh, and don't do it until you feel like safe and secure with the person. I love that because what I worry about for my clients dating is that we often seem in a rush to create a connection. And so for some of us, we think that connection is built by sharing. And so if you share a little bit and you're not getting the response you're looking for, sometimes what many of us do is then share more. It's like we double down because it's like, no, 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 I, I, I want to over explain. I want to like tell you more details. I want to. And so then you're not getting a reaction because the person may not even be having a reaction. It's just that they're taking it in. Right. They're processing. Yes. What does that mean to them? Do they have experiences that are similar? How does that impact their values? It's not about you. But then when we double down, it's like you threw all your marbles out and you can't take them back. And so then you're really feeling guilt and shame and not acceptance and wondering what this other person is thinking about you and you've left your body. Yes, absolutely. And um, I how I explain all of that to my clients is I say it's a game of catch. Mm -hmm. You know, you disclose something and you throw a ball to them and you wait to see whether they've disclosed back. And if they don't, and they just hold on to the ball, don't start lobbing balls at them because that's, that's not helpful for you. And that can increase this sense of like being over, overly vulnerable. And so, you know, and you may throw a ball and it be, be like two weeks later and then they throw the ball back at you, but that gives you data. Like that's what dating is. Dating is, it gives you data to know whether you want to move forward and whether this is the type of relationship that you want. And so that's when I break it down that way, they're like, okay, data, you know, they, it helps them just feel less, so less caught up um, in the romance and ah, about it. So um, they're just, okay, I'm just gathering data. I'm just gathering data. It's like, yeah. It sounds like a, it's a good space for your clients to also start uh, trusting their intuition and yes. maybe start valuing that what you said is beautiful. It's my story to tell and how much I want to tell it. And it's always good to hear yourself tell your story and see how you react to telling your story to have a sense of how you're progressing in your work. Right. Because if you can say it sort of like, yeah, that's who I was. And I'm a work, you know, I'm a work in progress or we're all a work in progress versus being apologetic for it. Absolutely. Is, I imagine a big part of how they determine growth. Yes. And, and that's what I get them to do because is to start disclosing that they're struggling this with, with this, with um, like loved ones. Now there is a, a huge caveat and that's cultural, cultural, racial um, kinds of things. And that's um, depending on a person's culture, race, whatever, disclosing this might, um, it might not be taken well. And I don't want to overgeneralize, sure. but that's one thing um, that I assess, you know, because I'm white, I have white privilege. I don't want to assume that I understand other people's, you know, BIPOC right. um, individuals, um, cultural experience or people who are immigrants or whatever. And so, you know, because I've, I've, you know, it's the San Diego, it's, we have a lot of 
people who immigrate here from all different countries and and then they have kids and say I work with the kids and and they're like well my friends at school are talking openly about it but like when I talk to my parents and my family is about it they totally don't understand and I said well yeah because maybe it wasn't talked about in their home countries and so I think it's important to sort of vet all of that out first for just before deciding when and to whom you want to disclose and I mean, I work with both teens and adults and with teens, sometimes talking to their friends first is a, a more helpful option. It really depends on the situation. And then um, for adults who are going through the dating process, uh, definitely talking to best friends, like people they're hanging out with, I think can be really helpful. Um, family, it, it depends. It it's, can't be tricky um, and it can be incredibly helpful depending on how the family members respond. So let's switch then to you've been dating someone for a while or you're established in a relationship and they haven't said a hoot about it, nothing. And you're starting to suspect by behaviors that you're seeing, they're spending a lot of time in the bathroom, they're brushing their teeth a lot, you hear noises, like mm -hmm. you have some suspicion that mm -hmm. something's going on. Is it a appropriate and how would someone bring it up to someone if they're in a relationship with them and there's a hope for clarification? That's a good question and it's a tricky answer. Um, I mean, it's a tricky question and the answer is, uh, it, it depends on the situation, but I, I would say um, confronting them is not helpful um, because there's typically so much shame that comes with this behavior, these behaviors. That's actually part of the diagnosis for binge eating disorder bulimia is the shame. It's, um, and so for you to confront it and say, I hear you, I hear you throwing up whatever, you know, that can be absolutely devastating to someone. And right. so I would say ease into it slowly, kind of like, you know, you have a really hot hot tub and you're kind of trying to like ease into it and you dip a toe in first is is that um i i would probably uh say something like you know I, I, you know um maria that i care about you a lot and um i just want to let you know that i'm here for you if if you know if you're struggling with anything i would love to support you and I, I would hope that, and I know that you would be the same way for me. Um, and so kind of, I think, start with that and then see how they respond and just make it very, you know, be very, very loving and kind to them. And then over time, um, if they don't disclose, I would, I would probably just go into the hot tub a little bit deeper and say, you know, um, I, I'm wondering whether you have any struggles with, with food and eating. Cause that's just, I don't know, something I'm just getting the vibe about. I totally may be wrong. Um, I, it just kind of seems like there's a little bit of something there, but, um, I, and then see how they disclose. Now, if they don't disclose and if they say, no, no, everything's fine. Um, that gives you data. 
Okay. You know, that gives you data. Um, so uh, a lot of people in the beginning, um, they there is this element of denial when it comes to how uh, how severe um, or their eating disorder is. And so um, which is also not dissimilar from alcohol or drugs or any yeah sort of yeah yeah coping behavior right sure sure and um there's just something about food and body image that's just because you can you have to eat every day and it's a such an organizing principle in all cultures is food and eating that I think it's just this extra layer of of um struggle and suffering i'm i don't want to compare this to like the suffering of alcoholism or drug use because that's totally not what i'm trying to do i'm just saying it's different because yeah, it's just course. like in your face every yeah. day like because you've got to eat to survive and um but i think if you have a situation where you're seeing someone drop a lot of weight um where it's like every every time that they eat they go to the bathroom and vomit and they're just saying no no you know I don't have any struggles with food and you've already taken the steps of opening the door and um you know walking slowly into the hot tub and you've done that over the course of several weeks and the person is still no 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 and just you know I would have a sit, sit down with them and just say you know listen I I am very concerned about you. I very much care about you. Um, this is what I'm noticing. Um, and you're telling me you don't have any struggles with food. So I'm really confused Okay. right now. I'm very confused. Instead of, you know, going at it like, you did this and you're doing this. Not confronting. This is not right. an intervention. This is no, a this gentle, curious versus furious kind of Yes. trying to get data so that you can understand and maybe have compassion. Yes, absolutely. Coming from a place of compassion, coming from a place of, I care for you. I love you if they're at the L word stage yet. Um, and I, I just want to be there to help you. And how can I help? You know, how can I help? I love that curious, not furious and coming from a place of compassion and just, just, I think if if they're contradictory in what they say, I love the words, um, I'm confused. Okay. Yeah, I'm confused or I'm unclear, you know, because that's so non-blaming. The person is, you know, it won't put them on the defensive. And, or you can also say, help me understand. Yeah. I'm confused, I'm unclear, or help me understand because this is going on. And, you know, I did ask you whether you had food issues and, and you said everything's okay. And yet I'm seeing this and I'm kind of confused and I'm just not sure what not to think. And I love you and I really want to support you. So how can I support you? So, but you need to go take a lot of steps before having that conversation in terms of opening the door. And also it depends on how long you're dating and your level of closeness and things like that. But it's, it's challenging to navigate on both ends because as if you're the partner, you don't want to turn into the food police either. Um, and you want to make sure the person gets the right help. Yeah. Good. Wonderful tips. I appreciate you 
talking about that. So I want to shift to something that I saw you post on social media that I'm like, what? People would actually ask this. So I'm going to read it that I got the question right um, is you put a, a call out on Instagram for people to respond. When is it okay to comment on somebody's body? And I'm like, what? Somebody would do that? What? Your question obviously comes because this happens in the real world. So your response is what, Marianne? Never. <laughs> Never. Never, ever, 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 ever. Yes. I am assuming people are doing that because they're being curious versus furious. I want to hold them in a positive perspective. I think people just are not putting their filters in place and considering what that, I, I don't know. I, I had a coworker one time that used to ask every woman if she was pregnant in the elevator. And I was like, I, what, 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 why? <laughs> yeah, I know it's, uh, it's complicated because I mean, you know, I'm a woman in a large body. And so people make comments about my body um, on social media. And I, I knew what I was sign, signing up for when I was when I started the dancing videos. Um, and I'm like, I don't care, I'm going to do them anyway, because they bring me so much joy. And they're fun. I mean, I sometimes watch my own videos because they improve my mood. <laughs> I get it. I your I'm like, videos improve my mood. I'm, I'm like, like, I wish I was dancing in my office, like my friend over there is. Yeah, it's like, like it's not totally not about ego. It's it's more about like okay, because I just put it all out there, and I'm very silly and fun, and it's it's yeah, it's a lot of fun. So, um, but I I knew because I'm in a large body that people were going to body shame me because that's just part of you know being a person in a large body in today's world. Um, and I think it, people. I mean, Brene Brown, um, when she, her first TED talk went viral back in, I think it was 2011, um, she did a follow-up TED talk to share like what, what the fallout was mm. after the first TED talk. And, she, you know, at the time she was not in a large body uh, by any means. She was what's called straight sized. Like she could go into any store and buy clothes. She doesn't have to go to like a special store or anything like that. Um, so she was straight size, but she was body shamed, you know, and people made so many comments about her. So it's, it's part of um, oppressing and marginalizing women, especially, um, and people in, in general. Um, and sometimes it's cultural, like sometimes it's cultural um, like one of my friends is married to someone, um, my friend is white and she's married to someone of a different culture and they're, they're always like food, food is love. Right. So they're like, eat, eat, eat food, food, it's food. A connection. And, yeah. It's a connection. And then they're like, oh, you look like you've gotten fat. Ah, oh, you know, but that's just part, it's just part of the culture. And that, and that's where, uh, you know, when I'm working with families, I say, okay, yes, it's cultural and it's not helpful. So it's not helpful. So how can we change the way we talk about it? And families are so, you know, if, if the families are fully invested, they're like, we'll totally change it. We won't talk about anything. We just want our kid to get better. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it can be very challenging, but like people, I, I grew up 
I mean, I'm recovered as well. I've long recovered many years. Um, but I grew up in a, a family where they made comments about my body all the time, even well into adulthood, you know, and I had to set the boundary multiple times. Just please, please stop talking about my body, please. It's just, um, it's just a, a weird, unfortunate thing about the society. And it's, not okay like because you don't know what's going on with the person you don't know why a person looks a certain way and it's none of your business anyway so never i i often tell because you know i see lots of couples and one partner might be like well my partner's gained some weight and i think i should talk to them about it and i'm like do you not think they have a mirror like we are a society that is very in love with looking at our image and we are always very aware of what we look like and if we wanted to do something about it, we definitely would have the ability to do that. So we don't need you to point that out, but right. and reiterating what needs to be said. Yeah, well, and also it's like, what what's going on inside of you that you feel like you need to say something? That's my curious, that would be what I would be curious about. It's like, what, I mean, do you have your own biases against people in larger bodies that you need to address here <laughs> you know like is this is this a deal breaker for you if so like we need to have a conversation you know because this and where does that come from um and why is like are you seeing your partner's appearance as a reflection on you like there's so many levels to that so i'm glad you brought that up well i am really grateful to have you on the forefront of leading this conversation because I think it's long overdue and we need more mental health role models to kind of step up and start these difficult conversations because they're they're difficult but they're necessary and so I want to leave with a quote that I took from you that I think is beautiful and then you're going to tell me what inspired the quote please you said take care of what is around you take care of what is within you love that what was the inspiration for that Marianne um because we have value we have value it doesn't matter you know what our race ethnicity gender body size ability whether you're neurodiverse neurotypical you all have value we all have value and so we deserve to take care of what's around us and we deserve to take what is what is going on inside of us and we deserve to prioritize our mental health and you know this is mental health awareness month uh, may is and uh, and it really is an expression i'm actually getting goosebumps just talking about it of self-love to take care of our mental health well thank you for all that you do i'm inspired Please don't stop dancing. I need something to look at that makes me happy and on Instagram. So thank you for all, all that you do and all the joy that you bring all of us. And I appreciate you taking some time to hang out with me today. Oh, thanks, Dana. This has been a blast. And I just really appreciate and I'm honored uh, that you invited me to come. Thank you, my friend. Take care. Thanks for tuning into the D-Spot. Find me, Dr. Dana McNeil, and my guests on social media using the links down below. Subscribe for new episodes weekly and leave a comment letting us know how and if you can relate or what topics you'd like us to cover next. See you next time. And don't forget, going to therapy is cool.